Good morning, everybody. And again, happy anniversary. I once had a couple walk into my office and she introduced her husband to me and said, this is my first husband, which allowed me to make the diagnosis pretty quickly. Well, I have a, uh, a pretty tough job this morning. I am going to try and describe what is essentially impossible to describe. Imagine describing a man blind from birth and tell him what a bird of paradise flower looks like or how a rabbit looks different from a duck or from a butterfly wing. Now imagine touching his eyes so that instantly he could see. Do you know what the first thing he would do is? I'll tell you, because I've seen it, and I'm going to show it to you in just a moment. He would put his hand over his mouth, often fall to the ground, and begin to cry, exclaiming over and over again, Is this what you see all the time? Imagine his uncontrollable reaction as he saw what he could not see before, the the beauty of his wife and children, the marvel at what God's created order really looks like, to see things as they really are and not as he imagined them to be. In other words, a man blind, blind, and here's the surprise, just as you and I are blind, but do not yet realize it. I'm going to show a video here. Let me just set it up a bit because I think the sound's a little hard to hear. The sound is less important than this man's reaction. A man who's in his 60s and showing this video, I've shown it before to an audience, it's very likely that I'm going to change somebody's life in this audience today visually. And I hope, Holy Spirit granting, that it will change a whole lot of hearts. So watch this man's reaction. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
That one gets me every time. And I have the profound feeling, brothers and sisters, that that is something like what our reaction is going to be when we see Christ face to face. When we really see, not the way we think we see, but when we see through the lenses of Christ. Since 2012, what I've just shown you happens every day because of what are called enchroma glasses. So if you're one of the 10% that's colorblind, these may well change your life and allow you to see colors. The first reaction of nearly every person who puts these on is, is identical to this man. They begin crying to see what they had never seen before. They cannot believe that what they thought they were seeing is very different from what reality actually looks like. And they exclaim over and over again with joy and amazement, is this what you see all the time? You and I are like these colorblind people. We think we see, having little idea of what the world, according to Christ, really looks like. But we persist in believing we know. It's a remarkable paradox. To, to take the metaphor perhaps a bit farther, those who reject God see the world through lenses of deception. And those of us who know Christ see the world through lenses of Christ's reception. Deception or reception. It's a metaphor for what each of us will experience, I think, when we die. For believers, the indescribable beauty and clarity, just like we saw with this man when we see Christ face to face. For the unbeliever, one can hardly imagine the horrific blackness and torment that they would see. So this morning we're going to examine the story, a parable, of a man who wears lenses of sin, of deception, only to have them removed, as we all will, at death. He's a man like many among us in this culture who was blind, but he didn't know it. He refused to believe it was even possible that he was blind. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with somebody hostile to Christ? They don't believe they're blind. They think you're the one who's blind. But now they see. And this man sees what is now torment. Can I ask you to open your Bibles? Uh, you actually have an insert there to Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19. And if you're able and if you're comfortable, Please stand as we hear God's word. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. This is a rich man. And at his gate was laid a poor man. Talk about poor his name was Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man, notice he's not given a name. We might say his name is Legion. 
also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, he knew that much, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. One of the clearest descriptions we're going to read in Scripture. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead... Surely they would repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. May God see fit to write the unchanging truth of his word on our hearts. Please sit for my words as we go to Christ in prayer. Dear Lord, Help me, Lord. Help us as we examine this passage. In it, you teach a parable designed to surprise us and, and provoke us toward you. To reconsider that we too, like the rich man, are indeed blind. We read this parable and, and maybe we recognize something of ourselves. Change us, Lord. Remove the blindness, the scales of our hearts and our eyes, and increase our faith. And Lord, help me to speak the words you want your beloved to hear. For it is in the life-saving gospel of Jesus the Christ that we trust and have our hope now and forevermore. Amen. What if as a physician and a preacher I told you that you are blind? You're looking right at me. But what if I said, the reality of it is, you might be blind. That what you think you see is false. But you do not perceive it or know it. That you're groping in the darkness like Moses described in Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness. And confusion of mind. And you'll grope about at noonday. As the blind grope in darkness. And you shall not prosper in your ways. But blind to what? You might ask. And the answer to that is blind to the truth that sin. That is any want of conformity. Or transgression of the law of God. That's from your shorter catechism. Question 14 causes us to be blind in reality. That sin blindness, notice the bridge I'm trying to draw, is a universal problem 
And we cannot fix it on our own. We can't force our eyes open. A blind man cannot make himself see, though he would want to with everything inside of him. Blind to the truth that trust in ourselves or in riches or in anything other than Christ causes spiritual blindness. We no longer perceive our neighbor's need and the truth of our own poverty in Christ. Whenever we read the Bible, there are questions we should be asking ourselves. Why did God put this verse or passage in the Bible? How does he want me to apply it to my life? Everything in the Bible is there for a purpose, I think we would all agree, and for application in our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all Scripture, the Greek word there means everything, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Wait, where's the part about for making us feel good about ourselves? I missed that. The Western church and our society are confronted with such a problem. You and I live as rich men in a sea of Lazaruses. We live in an area here, a beautiful area, praise God for it, of great material wealth, but stunning spiritual poverty. Have you ever stopped to consider that? The Western church is the wealthiest church in all of human history, yet we can't get adequate funding for missions. RUF struggles to get the funds it needs to evangelize the next generation of believers who are otherwise going to live in eternal torment. You may not realize it, but our own uh, Pastor Patrick plays a big role in missions to the world. He just got back from such a meeting. And they're trying to raise money for the Ukrainian pastors, many of whom, and Lord protect these men, have decided to stay in order to assist their congregations. What is our response in view of this parable? We have neighbors right here among us who are hungry without medical care and often without the one thing humans must have to live, which is hope. And that's exactly what Christ offers us, is hope. Whole neighborhoods in need, like Lazarus, they lay at our gate and we literally don't even see them as we feast every day. And I'm not speaking just of those who are monetarily poor, but more importantly, those who are spiritually poor. The poor in spirit are among us, and we often don't see them blind to Christ's upside-down redemptive script for radically changed lives. Don't be deceived here. Jesus warns us of this when he calls out the rich but blind church of Laodicea. Remember this in Revelation 3.17. For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. But Christ says, you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And one day, when the third seal is opened and the black horse rides out, we will be separated, the one 
from the many. This morning I'm going to demonstrate to you that what we just read in Luke 16 is a parable whose lessons powerfully speak to us today about the problem that we in the western part of the world face, and that is riches-induced sin blindness. It is an old and well-known diagnosis. Scripture is full of concerns and warning about it. I'm going to do that by pointing to the source, which is sin, and the treatment, Christ, for our blindness by use of a shocking reversal of the truth. We think seeing is believing, when the truth is that it's the other way around. Believing is seeing, is really seeing. It's backwards from the cultural lie we grow up believing. My argument is going to move from the Lukean text we just read and its meaning to what it means through the lens of Christ and finally to application. So just briefly to catch you up very quickly with the book of Luke. You do recall he's a physician, right? (laughs) He begins his gospel by establishing things, as he said, that have been accomplished that we may with certainty have understand the things that have been taught. His concern is that we understand that Jesus is the Christ and that through his life, death, and resurrection, God has fulfilled his covenant purpose of and promise, by the way, of salvation for sinners. In this context, sin is something that blinds our eyes to Christ and his promises. Jesus explains this in discussing parables generally in Luke 8.10, setting up the series of parables that are going to occur in Luke. He says that seeing, they may not see. Well, that's surprising. Hearing, they may not understand. And this is an Old Testament allusion to Isaiah 6. Those who rebel against God are blind to his saving grace, while the blind who seek him will see and be saved. So listen to Isaiah through the metaphor of blindness. Remember that Isaiah the prophet is taken up to heaven and he sees the Lord. And the Lord tells him to say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. Turn and be healed. Luke goes on to record multiple healings performed by Jesus. And in chapters now 10 to 21, a series of parables. We're going to go on to Luke 16. And early in that chapter, Jesus speaks of what he calls unrighteous wealth and true riches, making clear the critical principle, and you know it well, that no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. We read in that parable, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve 
God and money. Now, it's another sermon, but all of us in this room have money. He is not saying money is bad. He is saying that worshiping money is not what worshiping Christ is. One is sin. One is sight and salvation. And in verse 14, we go on to read about the Pharisees who were, quote, lovers of money and who ridiculed Jesus. It's a problem and there's no way around it. Riches are a snare, though no man ever believes he will be caught in its trap. Not one. Jesus spoke these words to rich Pharisees who justified themselves before men, but God knew their hearts. And said, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Verse 15. This is the critical turning point for the parable we're going to examine this morning. So with this principle of man's worship of riches over the worship of Jesus' background, Luke 16, 19-31 raises a fundamental question both then and now. How does the way in which we live now, living for or against Christ, determine where we live later? But other deeper questions lurk that I hope you're asking yourself. Could it be that I'm blind to Christ? How did I become blind? Is there a cure for my blindness? In other words, has sin defined as rebellion or rejection of God, in this case by the worship of riches rather than of Him, blinded us such that we are blind to our own sin and to the true riches in Christ and no longer even perceive our blindness. Is that possible for any of us? This parable, like all parables, and you might not know this about parables, was designed to shock the listeners, and into seeing what they couldn't see before, seeing a new truth in their lives, and to provoke a response among those listeners. The parable is one really of contrasting twos when you think of it. Two men, a rich man and a poor man, Two types of dress, royal purple robes, and the other covered with sores. Two choices, the riches of man or the riches of Christ. Two great eschatological reversals and destinations. The rich to a beggar. The poor to rich. Two states of being, anguish and comfort, and two destinations heaven or hell. To the original hearers, it was shocking that the rich man ends up poor and the poor man ends up rich, revealing and proving the very point that they were sin-blind and ignorant of this truth, that how one lives now reveals the state of our heart and our relationship to Christ and thereby determines where we're going to live. 1 John 3.17 says this, If anyone has the world's goods, that's you and me, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
Luke 6.24 says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Now let's think about this in terms of application. After hearing this parable, what are we to do? How are you and I to live now that reflects that we worship Christ and not ourselves and not our material blessings? This is not a faith based on works, but a faith demonstrated by works. A way to think through this parable is to consider that the symbol in this parable is blindness to God. Now follow the logic here. The rich man sins by rejecting God and worshiping wealth, ignoring his neighbor's needs. This symbol points to the historical truth that sin, the rejection or rebellion against Christ and his word, leads to spiritual blindness. Blindness is a symbol used throughout Old Testament and New Testament scripture as a symbol of sin. The psalmist says, let their own table before them become a snare. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. Ezekiel 12.2 says, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Sin makes us spiritually blind. Isaiah 6.9 is a condemnation of the rebellious Israelites who had sinned against God. They keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And he says, blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, turn and be healed. John 12.40 picks up this theme saying, the Lord has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and turn, and I would heal them. This points us to Christ, who's the remedy who offers sight to the blind and enables us to see. Luke records in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit came upon Saul. And what happened? Something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Later in that same book, there's this specific charge to Paul. Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. To God. In his gospel, John richly uses this symbol of blindness for the sin of ignoring somebody who is in physical need. 1 John 2, 9 warns you and me that whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is sin blindness. Christ allows us to see, truly see, and respond to the needs of those around us, just as he did for us. And this application of God's grace transforms our lives where we can see and turn to him. Notice something else here that I'm going to just high level go over. This is a, the Christ pattern throughout the New Testament is that suffering precedes glory. This is 1 Peter 1, 11. Suffering precedes glory. The rich man's life is a sinful reversal of this. Indeed, Luke precedes this parable with Jesus' teaching of status reversal in Luke 13, 30, that the first shall be last at the banquet table in the kingdom of God, and the last 
shall be first. And that his followers must emulate this teaching in their lives. Like Christ, we're to humble ourselves and take the form of a servant, weeping with those who weep, and to associate with the lowly. So the shape of this parable is that the the, the shocking truth that we're blind to our own blindness, we cannot and do not see things as they really are, even though we are absolutely convinced we do, until, like I hope everybody in this room, until we're enabled to see through the lens of God's redemptive purpose for us. It's like putting on those enchroma glasses and realizing we weren't seeing clearly at all. And now, thank God, we do. And when that great day comes, won't we, like Isaiah, put our hand over our mouth, fall to the ground and weep on that day when we will finally be free. Notice something else here. The rich man in this parable is self-oriented. Notice the order here. He sees and believes he's secure in his wealth. Even though he had seen Lazarus' torment, he knew his name and had Moses and the prophets. But in reality, the truth is that he's poor. Lazarus, on the other hand, is the poorest of poor. Ignored and enjoying nothing of this world, but in a great reversal. And again, notice the order here. He believes and sees and becomes incomparably rich through the riches of Christ. The rich man sees but does not see nor believe. The poor man believes and sees. So in this parable, we are confronted with the counterintuitive fact that those who trust in riches become the very beggars they ignored when Christ returns. Scripture is God's revelation to us and tells us we're sin-blind men, groping in the dark until the Holy Spirit removes the scales from our eyes. And so, what do you do if you do not yet know this Christ? There's really only one thing you can possibly do, and that is to beseech God for eyes to see, to ask him to remove the scales. Only then can you see. Only then will you see. You and I have received God's grace, and we now have a responsibility, an obligation. This, this is the good news. Our exhortation results from the truth that Christ is the cure, that sin causes blindness, and that faith is sight. We, the church, are to respond with lives transformed by this truth. James 2.14 confronts us. What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? The answer from today is a resounding no. Out of our riches, the needy must be cared for. How we care for others reveals our real response to Christ. Will we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and heal the sick? Sin blindness is universal after the fall, and we confess, we see, but dimly through distorted, sin-sick lenses of our own making, 
Luke is a power, Luke 16 is a powerful exhortation of the truth that we are blinded by trusting anything other than Christ. A diagnosis? Critical eye surgery is needed. The Holy Spirit must remove the scales from our eyes and implant the corrective lens of Christ. It is Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, that is the solution. And we must respond to that grace by the fruit of our own changed lives. As one woman told me about her Bible, when Christ took away those scales from her eyes. She said, I held the word in my hand, my mouth open, my hands trembling, shocked at what I had missed and did not see. And on that glorious day, when we will see with supernaturally enabled, perfect sight, we will exclaim, brothers and sisters, remember this, because I think Pastor John and Pastor Patrick are going to be holding our hands up there together. And we're going to say, I was blind, but now I see. And that revelation is going to carry us into an eternity of doxology. Amen. Let's end in prayer. Lord Jesus, we leave now seeing and understanding differently what your kingdom is and what our response is to be to your grace in our lives. You have told us plainly. And yet, Lord, we know there are many who see and hear but reject your words, who blindly trust in things like riches that they can see rather than the riches you promise. Please remove the scales from those eyes. Help us all, Lord, to see clearly and to do your will. For you and only you, Lord God, God, Lord God, are our rescuer, our savior, our deliverer. You are the only safe place upon which to invest the very riches you have entrusted us with. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible grace in our lives and your patience with our stubborn rebellion. We love you, Lord, and we long to fellowship with you forever and ever and ever. Amen and amen. Is there another hand? In response, let's stand together and sing more love to thee.
church what you should know is that parable I read is my own story. Praise God for the scales He removed. Church, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Go now, each of you, with new eyes to see into your mission field, remembering always that you live before the very face of God who sees all things. Blessings on each of you.